Quick note before the episode begins. When sending us your story at eeriecast.com submit, please ask yourself if the story is scary before you type it. Please do not send us stories that are simply uncomfortable. For example, a story about a stranger trying to ask you out to lunch might be uncomfortable, but a story about a stranger stalking you into the alley and trying to stab you is scary. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Dead and Roasted. What can I get you? The strangest thing's been happening here at Dead and Roasted. An old man has been ordering a tall, hot Americano, but by the time I bring the order out, he's gone. Maybe the old man is asking for some kind of coffee beverage, and not me with my uniform off. Nah, can't be. Anyway, welcome back to the break room, my friend. You're just in time for another one of my horrendous breaks. Today I've got stories of obsessed customers, security guard haunts, and hostages who lived to tell the tale. Enjoy. These are tales from the break room. How did she leave? From Sanderson 550. I took a security job while I was in college, since it was easy work and gave me plenty of time to complete assignments while getting paid. As a part-timer, I had a regular post, but I would also fill in at other sites for extra hours. One day I was asked if I could cover a call-in at a real estate office downtown. I agreed since it was third shift and the place had Wi-Fi. I arrived at around 8pm and relieved the supervisor who was covering until I got there. The buildings were old and three stories. I only had to monitor the real estate offices on the first floor. Piece of cake. At or around 21.35, I heard typing. I saw one of the offices along the wall had a light on, but I didn't see or hear anyone come in. So I went to the office to find a young lady typing on an old-style manual typewriter. I tapped on the doorframe and introduced myself. She stopped typing and smiled, telling me she was just finishing up some things before she went on a trip. It was odd because she was somewhat dressed up. Not what I usually see when an employee comes in after hours to tie up loose ends. I asked for her name so I could log her presence and the encounter in my hourly report. She gave me the name of Elise Gumble. I thanked her and added that she should let me know when she leaves so I could log her exit too, and that I would also escort her to her vehicle in the dark parking lot. She smiled and thanked me, and she even said I was a doll. I don't know why, but that just struck me as odd. So I went back to my schoolwork at one of the desks. A bit later, I went to the restroom and noticed Miss Gumbel's office light was out, and the door was shut. I noted the time as about 22.55. I went to the exit to see if she was in the lot. However, I saw no car but my own. I simply assumed she had left. I noted her departure in my log and sat back down. At about 23.20, I was startled by the sound of typing again. I looked up and the office door was closed, but the light was on. How did she get back in without me knowing? More annoyed this time, I went to the office and knocked on the door. The typing stopped. Miss Gumbel? I inquired through the door. There was no answer. So I opened the door and noticed something that made my hair stand on end. 
There before me was a modern office setup, complete with a computer monitor, keyboard, printer, and fluorescent lighting and a drop ceiling. And more important, no typewriter. No Miss Gumble. I looked around. I stepped back and called for her. There was no way she could have exited that office, just as there was no way she could have entered the building without me noticing. I called the dispatch over the radio. Then I wasn't sure what to tell them, so I asked them to call me at the site. Just then a supervisor called over the radio advising that he was in the vicinity and that he could stop by. A few minutes later, he arrived. After explaining the odd events that just transpired, he nodded and said, I'll be damned. He explained that the company just obtained this contract just over a year ago. The first guy who worked this site quit mid-shift with a similar story. The guy who replaced him left a day later, stating another similar story. But he came back and didn't have an issue until last night when he encountered Miss Gumble again and called it off, which then required my service tonight. Long story short, I did some investigating. Back in the 1920s, this building was a small textile factory. I also found a grave online for Elise Anna Gumble, who died July 6, 1925. She was just 27 years old. I couldn't find any other details. My best guess would be that she may have worked as a secretary or even in management at the textile plant. Given her age, she may have died tragically in an accident over the holiday. She did tell me she was going on a trip after all and it seems that she only makes her appearance around the first week of July. She's pleasant and friendly, but very unnerving for those unprepared for her late-night visit. Since then, I usually visit her grave and place a flower there for her. I let her know that if I ever work that location again, she's always welcome to visit. But since then, I graduated, and I found a career, and I never saw her again. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play with my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Tag Ripper Tom from Archer. About a decade ago, I was a young, newly married woman whose husband was away on deployment. During the time, I lived alone. So in order to make the days and months go by faster, I took on more shifts at my job and just worked as much as I could to stay busy. While working in a big department store, it wasn't difficult to find extra shifts. Every day, there was at least one person that called in sick or simply didn't show up. After a few months of filling in around the store, I made the move to a completely different department when a better position opened up. While I did enjoy my old team, our team leader was a walking disaster, and I just couldn't stand them anymore. They were the kind of boss that would criticize how we completed store tasks, like printing and signing merchandise, while not knowing how to operate the program that printed out our signs in the first place. When I began working in the men's department, I was really happy with the change. My old boss was way on the other side of the store, and my new department was close to the mall entrance. So when we had customer appreciation events, like handing out candy during Halloween or balloon making during the 4th of July, I was close to the excitement. Overall, my experience working with the customers in this department was more pleasant, not to mention easier than any other department I'd been in. So if someone was looking for a dress shirt for a wedding, I would pick out a few nice examples that were less formal, and even some trouser options that would complete the look. Living on Oahu, a lot of people attend events that require aloha attire. I think if you aren't used to navigating the bright and strange world of Hawaiian shirts, it can be intimidating and overwhelming. Another situation I enjoyed helping with was when families were shopping for a funeral in order to dress the deceased loved one. Sure, that sounds weird to hear, it sounds strange when I say it out loud, but there's something really rewarding in being able to help someone find a complete outfit to dress their dearly departed in. I remember one customer. She was an older woman who had mobility issues, so I had her sit by the cashier station and describe to me what she was looking for and what sizes she needed. I brought different options to her, and in the end, she quickly decided on a charcoal suit with a deep blue dress shirt, navy socks, and navy underwear. I'll never forget how thankful she was that everything was so fast and simple. Along with all the great customers, though, there was a handful of terrible ones. I think every store has their own set of terrible customers. The difference comes down to how the stores themselves choose to handle them. This customer, who I'll call Tom, was one of those cases where if the upper management or even loss prevention store security had stepped in sooner to handle him, I don't think he would have had the chance to harass almost all the women in the store. The first time I met Tom was in the suit section of our department. He was looking through a rack of clearance dress pants and asked for some assistance with finding his size. During the interaction, he told me that he was homeless and that he was looking for a nice shirt and slacks to go on job interviews in. Tom was a very tall and broad man in his late 50s, so I knew the size he was looking for was in a different area, the big and tall section. 
After we got there, he was able to find two pairs of dress slacks and a few shirts that were all on clearance. Tom was really happy with his purchase and I felt good about being able to help another customer. When he was leaving, Tom said that I was the best and that he'd look for me every time he needed help. He said it in such a positive manner that I didn't find it strange. It didn't feel strange or creepy at the time, just positive. About a week later, I saw a sticky note with Tom's name and phone number on the bulletin board we keep in the back. It wasn't unusual to take customers' phone numbers in order to call them back when we got a specific item back in stock. I asked the department manager about the note, and she said that Tom came in during the week looking for me, but she ended up helping him for over an hour with dress slacks and shirts again. When I told her about the last purchase I helped him with, we just figured maybe he got the job he interviewed for, and he was now buying extra dress clothes since he knew they were on sale. I didn't think much about it until that weekend. On Sundays, I usually came in early to change all the signs in our department. This shift was special because it was 6am to 10am. We got to leave early, but had to clock in 3 hours before the store opened, and work without air conditioner. Around 9am when the store opened, I was double checking my signs when I noticed Tom walking in my direction. We made small talk for a few minutes until he asked me if there was anything new on clearance. I pointed him in the direction of some plain single color short sleeve t-shirts that had been reduced a second time. The brand was probably getting rid of that type of shirt because they'd gone down to about 3 bucks each. Tom seemed really happy with this and went through each color looking for his size. With only about 10 minutes left before I was able to clock out, I escorted Tom to the cash register and proceeded to check him out. Sometimes on busy mornings, it helped to waste a little time by jumping in with the cashiers and checking out a few customers. While I was scanning his shirts, Tom asked if I could double bag the shirts. He explained that the bags were really useful to have and they also kept his clothes dry since he had some storage issues. Feeling great about helping Tom again, I folded the shirts he purchased and double-bagged them for him. No problem. The problem arrived when we were waiting for the machine to approve his credit card. While he looked down at the machine, he said, You know, you remind me of someone. Gosh, why can't I remember her name? Not really thinking about it, I just handed him his receipt and started to tell him to have a nice day when he interrupted me and said, Oh, Betty Boop, that's who it is. You remind me of Betty Boop. Oh, uh, that's interesting. I blurted out, feeling completely caught off guard. Yeah, did you know she was a sex symbol in the 30s? He added with a degree of huskiness that made me so uncomfortable that I said goodbye and just went to the back of the store to clock out. I told my department manager about it, and she said she'd keep tabs on him since it seemed like he was coming in often. I changed my schedule and forgot about Tom for a little while. Maybe a month later, I was standing in line buying rabbit food when I heard a familiar voice behind me say, You look different when you're not in your work clothes. It was Tom. Caught off guard, I really didn't know what to say, so I just replied with, Yep, it's uh, my day off. And I turned back around. I quickly paid in cash and ran to my car. I know he wasn't following me, but I still took the long way home and cut through a lot of back roads along the way just in case. When my department and floor manager were talking about Tom a few days later, I brought up that I saw him outside of work 
and how weird it was. To their credit, they both took me aside and seriously asked me if I thought he was stalking me. And I don't believe that he was. It was weird that we were in the same checkout line, but other than being creepy, what else could be said of the guy? What else could I say he was guilty of? So I told my managers that I didn't want to help him when he came in. Then they scheduled me in the women's department for a few weeks. While I wish I could say that it ended there, it didn't. Working in the women's department was a short-term relief to a problem that was still ongoing. My department manager said that she was dealing with Tom when he came in to try to defuse his presence. After he had repeatedly gave her his number under the guise of checking in on inventory, he asked her for her personal number to contact her directly. When she told him that he could always reach her with the store number, he tried to file a complaint against her, saying that she had bad customer service. I think when Tom realized he wasn't getting as much attention as he used to, he decided to shift his tactics. Instead of asking a lot of questions about clothing items, he would take them into the fitting rooms and rip off all the tags, then stand in line to pay for them. By ripping off the tags, he ensured that the cashiers had a hard time scanning the clothes and had to call for clerks like me in order to find out the prices. Looking back on it now, I think he did this so more people had to help and tend to him when he was in the store. In one incident, when I was back working on the men's side, I had to price check a few belts that Tom was trying to purchase. Not wanting to go there in person, I called the cashier over the phone. She said that she had a customer with four belts and no tags, and that the customer said they're all on clearance. I checked on the belts she described to me and tried to handle the matter over the phone, but it was beginning to escalate the longer I refused to walk there in person. So I called for a manager and then got the exact belt Tom was trying to buy, and I brought it over to the cashier station. Tom was really upset when he saw me, he put it together that I was the person on the phone who obviously didn't want to be there in person. He started yelling. Oh, I see how it is. You and Cheryl, playing games. You only want to talk to me and be nice to me when you're on the clock, huh? I see how it is. Cheryl is my department manager. Luckily for me, by this time, our store manager arrived, and I handed the whole situation over to him like a dirty diaper. The next morning before the store opened, we had a small floor meeting about what happened and the whole situation with Tom. It was there that I found out Tom liked to hang out in the shoe department as well, and many of the shoe sales clerks had similar stories. And the cashiers that had to help Tom check out reported that he liked to chat them up too and tried to invite many of them to lunch. They only started to make complaints about him when he began to ask for their personal information. What resulted from this meeting was having the undercover security guards walk around the floor more often. I don't know if Tom picked up on this or not, but he broadened his scope to the rest of the store, so no one could accuse him of targeting one particular person. Amongst other reasons, I quit that year. Even though I didn't work there anymore, I was still connected to my coworkers on Facebook where they could complain every few weeks about Tom. Even a year later, he was still roaming the different departments, trying to chat up female employees, making them uncomfortable, then getting upset when he was rejected. Before he finally disappeared, he had a big incident in the jewelry department. Apparently, he asked the associate there to show him various pieces of men's accessories, then tried to ask her which pieces she liked. Thinking he meant which pieces did she think would make a great gift, 
She pulled out a few rings and bracelets for him to look at. When she was trying to show him the different watch face sizes against her own wrist, he stopped her and complimented how nice her skin was and how she had the perfect hands to work in jewelry, that such nice hands deserve a nice watch like that, and that he could buy it for her if she wanted him to. My insides cringed when I heard about all that. I can't imagine how that woman felt put on the spot while she was just trying to do her job. From what I heard, the next associate put all the jewelry away, and when Tom started yelling, the store security called the police. I don't know what happened to Tom after that. Sometimes I wonder if he moved on to bothering the female associates in Macy's or maybe Target. Creepy Customer from Joey D. I was a 20-year-old guy, a 6'1 with dark hair and an average build. A few years back, I was working for a local convenience store in York, England to pay for my university rent and bills. Our store was the last one open that late, midnight, and on Fridays we would often get drunk customers on nights out, coming in five minutes before closing, taking their sweet-ass time to leave, delaying our ability to close up shop and go home. One Friday I got to work at 4pm and half an hour into the shift, our store manager and staff supervisors went into a meeting in the tiny office at the back of the shop. I was restocking shelves when I heard the double bell for my colleague on the tills. A double bell is for a manager, and knowing they were stuck in a meeting, I went over to help, noticing there was just one customer at the tills. I also quickly noticed my colleague looked stressed. I walked up in front of the customer and asked if I could help. My coworker leaned closer and whispered that he didn't feel comfortable serving the customers, the guy was clearly drunk. He was trying to buy a large bottle of cheap wine, and you could definitely smell alcohol on him. I kindly explained to the customer that we were not able to serve him at this time. The guy stared into my eyes and quietly whispered, Please, please. I replied that we were not able to sell him alcohol at that time. After much awkward silence and eye contact, this guy just staring deadpan into my face, he grabbed the bottle of wine and swung at me, narrowly missing my head and bringing the bottle down hard on the baggage shelf. He hit it so hard he dented the part of the counter where people put their baskets full of shopping stuff. How the bottle didn't just break, I have no idea. But that could have been my head. I probably would have died, or at least be in a coma. My colleague on the till grabbed the bottle and pulled it away from him. The panic not quite having set in, I calmly repeated the man would need to leave. He storms off past me, and as I followed to make sure he left the store, he spun around asking if I was religious. He pointed a finger to my throat, saying the KKK would come after me. He then turned and walked out the store. As soon as he left, I started to feel sick. My legs were shaking. I laughed it off and went back to the shelf I was stacking. Shortly after, the manager and senior members of the team emerged from the back office, Upon telling them what happened, they said they already knew, as they had seen the events transpire through the store's CCTV camera. I asked them why they didn't come to help. They said they wanted to see what happened. Needless to say, I wasn't working there very long after that. 
we saw quite a few sites working late at night on a Friday in the busy city with two universities. But nothing came close to nearly being knocked out or worse by an angry drunk wielding some cheap wine. Hostage Situation at Work From Nick F. This story took place about a decade ago in Glasgow, Scotland, specifically in a beauty salon in the city's West End. For obvious reasons, I won't reveal the name and location of the salon. However, it was late autumn, so the light faded early, and it was dark by about 5pm. My two friends, for the purpose of this story I'll call them Neelam and Aisha, were working one day, and were just about to close the salon for the evening. Suddenly, three masked men came in with plastic shopping bags. They said they were looking for the salon owner, and when they were told that she was not in the store that day, they closed down the shutters. Neelam was obviously scared, but also thought they seemed fairly amateurish and harmless, until they pulled out hammers and a roll of duct tape from the bag. They marched Neelam and Aisha to the back of the salon, where they proceeded to bind their hands behind their backs, then put tape over their mouths. In reality, the whole situation lasted for only about 10 minutes, but it felt so much longer, as things looked as though they were beginning to turn more sinister. The men began smashing some of the inside of the store, using their hammers to break the cash register and also the phone. For whatever reason, they didn't actually steal anything. Then they decided to just leave while Neelam and Aisha were left out in the back of the store. After struggling for some time, they used a pair of hairdresser scissors to cut the tape from their wrists, and once they removed the tape from their mouths, they used their phones to call the police. Although they were unharmed, they both say this was the single most frightening thing to ever happen to them, and to this day, they do not know why those men wanted to see the owner so badly. They could guess it was something that was best being kept out of, so they quit the salon shortly after. As far as we know, the men were never caught. However, my friends did have to attend identity lineups, although they could never identify anyone, as the actual men had been wearing balaclavas during the incident. They were grateful the owner wasn't there that day, as they're certain the men had very bad intentions for her, and this scary situation could have been much, much worse. Tales from the Break Room is a viewer-submitted podcast featuring allegedly true scary stories that happened on the way to, on the way from, or at work. If you want your story to be narrated on the show, send it to us at eeriecast.com submit. As of April 14th, we're paying three cents per word for stories that are approved and make it onto the show. Submission does not guarantee approval or payment. For a limited time only, PayPal only. Tales from the Break Room is an EerieCast Network original podcast hosted by Darkness Prevails. You can follow him on Twitter at Dark Prevails, and you can hear thousands more stories read by him on our other show, Unexplained Encounters. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow and rate Tales from the Break Room on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also enjoy plenty more horror-themed podcasts at EerieCast.com.